Hello, and welcome to the Theology Gaming Podcast. My name is Zachary Oliver, the owner and proprietor of the Theology Gaming blog. Uh, Today we're going to do something a little different than we usually do, which is that I am not actually on this podcast, which may come as a surprise to some of you because I've been on every single Theology Gaming Podcast, but... You know, sometimes I'm just not there everywhere where people are talking about things. So that's fine and dandy with me. So what exactly are we going to have today? Well, (laughs) you probably already know the title because this is a podcast and the podcast feed will tell you. But this is a conversation between M. Joshua Collar, who you know as a frequent contributor to many different sites, and Richard Terrell, who is one of the developers of Barabari Ball and the the showrunner of the Critical Gaming blog, which talks a lot about game design and game design issues. There's over five years of content on the site, and he also runs his own podcast, which is elaborately edited and constructed. I advise you to check it out, but... For the near future, you'll be listening to about an hour's worth of this interesting conversation, which I wished I was a part of. Ah, uh, take a listen. It's awesome to meet you. It's great to it's great to have an opportunity to just talk to you and get to know you a little bit more and hear your heart. And I, I like I said, I didn't really have any any like specific purpose for like let's make something together, other than you know I just really wanted to talk to you and. Mm-hmm. But uh, it was just really important stuff that I wanted to understand more about you and, and more about like what you're doing. And I've, I feel like I've gotten a really good understanding of all that you're doing with uh, – I mean I've listened to all the podcasts. Um, I've listened to uh, – I haven't read all that much of your blog to be completely honest. Mm-hmm. I've only read, I don't know, maybe like seven to ten posts. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> That's but, all yes. good. It's all good. <laughs> so how are you doing? <laughs> Pretty good. Spent the day uh, working a lot on – Bar bar ball, just sort of teleconferencing in with our lead developer up in New York. So used to skyping into the post. Cool. So it's like, uh, it's how many people are on on the bar bar ball team? Just the three of us: my brother over here, and then our friend Noah up in New York. Cool. Yeah, I, I, uh, I mean, I, I listened to your your podcast about Smash Bros. So I know that you and your brother definitely have a lot of that just deep in your bones. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that's, it was actually something really exciting to me, especially considering, um, I've never been at a remotely competitive, like real competitive level with Smash Brothers. Yeah. We run a youth center and, and all the kids always want to try their, try their skill against me. <laughs> um, <laughs> not, not that I like, but I, I've been in like maybe one or two tournaments and I, I saw people like, like getting smashed off the stage with Samus and doing like ball jumps the whole way back across the stage. And <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> a long history there smashing yeah. since since the game came out really and yeah been a, been a part of that community when it was growing and been at different parts like on the outside of it on the inside just sort of watching it grow all these different perspectives it taught me a lot about community and how people play games and what they really value out of games and how you can't really take the people element out of the equation and no matter yeah. if it's in entirely gameplay focused or what people very much enjoy coming around these sort of experiences and sharing that i i and and that's one of the things that's really interesting for me because like for for me and and my church family and like my wife my wife's Mm -hmm. actually a director of the the youth center um that's just been a recent development over the past year um but um she's been kind of like you know how do you connect with people through games and that's kind of you know it's part of my dna i've been doing it since 2004 
um, back when back and it was melee that we were playing all the way back then. Yeah. Um, so it's just funny to see how how that's been one of the the consistent unifiers. But uh, mm-hmm. with with Bari Bari Ball, I mean, like as I as the, when I first saw the footage and I understood what was happening in, in the content of the game, I, I, it was pretty easy to comprehend. Um, but there's some really good mental playing off of one other like the, the first trailer that i saw last year i guess mm. it's the only trailer that you guys <laughs> yeah, have on the site right now we really have to fix that <laughs> i might make I, a video I, this weekend that i i don't know that's necessarily a problem because in in the the gameplay it's probably you your brother and your brother playing in the in the the trailer isn't it well, that video is so old that he uh noah made that video before we even came on the project Oh, so, wow. Oh, so it's okay. like a year and a half, a year old. <laughs> right oh, wow. Now. Okay. The game, the game has changed so much since then. But yeah, I can see totally in the, even, even in that, in that early basic mm-hmm. introduction of the video, like, I could see all the, the mechanics that are happening and the, the play, the, the thought and the trying to play off of the other player, just trying to get things going on there. So mm-hmm. how, I guess, um, tell me a little bit about how you came onto that project and, and, uh, I mean, you know a ton about gameplay, and you've been studying it for over five years. Yeah. So how how did everything lead up to Bari Bari Ball? So Noah and I connected through my blog, and he saw that I was a big fan of Smash Brothers, and he likes my blog and my writing, and we connected that way a long time ago. But then the uh, the first GDC that we went to, my brother and I went to, Noah was also there, so we decided to meet up and play Bari Bari Ball for the first time. And uh, we became... When was that last year? Yeah, it was GDC 2012. Okay. Yeah, that was our first GDC. And it was cool hanging out. It was cool talking about games and game design. We had a lot in common. And um, sort of after GDC, we were chatting and doing Skype calls, and we decided we wanted to work on a project together. And uh, we brainstormed a few ideas, but then we kind of just ended up continuing to work on Bari Ball because we felt like there was a lot of potential there. That we could all work on something that was already underway a lot better than starting from scratch. And then later that fall, the Sports Friends Kickstarter happened, and that got successfully funded. So now we're sort of on the fast track from going from like nothing developers to getting something on the PSN. From all the little bit that I've seen of the game, it definitely seems to deserve it. Like I've not intentionally become a PlayStation a PlayStation Network gamer, but Mm -hmm. it just sort of like my 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 buddy let me borrow the system, and I started to develop a library of digital games and I'm like, yeah. well, I better actually own the system myself now. Yeah. <laughs> and and then and that was right on the cusp of all of a sudden like it becoming the system to own if you want like good indies. It was like around the time that Journey was coming out mm. and right before Dyad and stuff like that. Yeah. So I I mean like just to see that there's a really strong respect that they have for the indie culture. Uh for indie games, for quality indie games, not just any indie games, but just like the really good stuff seems to come out on PSN before anything else. At least lately. Yeah, they got recently. They got uh, Guacamelee. Got the yeah. chance to go to a, a cool Sony event at GDC and check out all the indie games they had playable there, and sort of listen sort of to the the background talk of how enthusiastic and adamant Sony was going after indies and really showing their support. It's really great. I mean, yeah, that was a surprising thing to find out that they're actually going after indies. Mm-hmm. That's how Sean McGrath got his funding through the Sony yeah. Pub Fund program. That's kind of what we're writing on as well. So. I can't say it's too foreign to me right now. So what what exactly like I, I've I've heard about that a lot through his project, but what mm-hmm. exactly is the pub fund and and how does that work? I don't know too many details. I'm pretty far away from the the actual financial part of 
the Sports Friends deal, but from my understanding, Sports Friends is you publish a game on PSN and have a small exclusivity window as far as timing goes, and they sort of give you a little bit of money to help develop that product, but they give it to you after you successfully deliver the product. So you kind of have to complete your end of the deal, and then they give you money as if they were investing in you from the beginning, but then after that, you can get profits from it. So it's kind of like a little less risk on their part, but still helping you yeah. out overall, and that's pretty much how so, the deal goes. So it's it's uh, the definition of working by faith. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. They, they really believe in you up to a, a certain degree, and you just kind of have to work on sort of good spirits and hard effort to get it to that yeah. publishing point. Now, do you, you guys don't have any hard details on what when we can be expecting Bari Bari Ball, or...? We keep saying by the end of the year, but that's that's as detailed as I get at this point. Yeah. Hey, I, I understand entirely. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I, I know you have a, a, a great degree of, of knowledge and understanding of game design. And how does that play into the actual like day-to-day working on Bari Bari Ball? Like, uh, what, when, you, yeah. when you get down to the nitty-gritty, when you're actually working on the computer, what are you, what are you making? Are you coding? Are you... Because, I mean, like, for me, as I, I guess a little bit more of understanding where I'm coming from. Like, I, I want to be more where you are on things, or at mm-hmm. least understanding a lot more so that I can, I don't know. I, I want to make games. It's what I've wanted to do yeah. since I was nine. I know that. I, 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 I'm a designer. I make things, sort of, but I don't make anything to the degree of being an actual game. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I, I'm looking to get, get out, out of you, like, knowing how you participate in that, being a person who goes from a blogger, which I am, to game designer. So... I guess, let's see, what what I do right now in Baryball, I actually just got um, some of the code passed from Noah just today. I got to work inside of some of our scripts tonight. For the most part, he's our lead programmer. He designed the mm-hmm. entire architecture of how our, our code is going down. But my brother and I have done some coding just on our own in GameMaker so that we know our way around scripting languages if we just sit there and sort of think it through for a while and we can manipulate data and sort of move things around a little bit. So it's not too foreign to us, but we leave most of it to him. But uh-huh. we, we got that experience from making GameMaker games when I was even in middle school. Oh, when, cool. When GameMaker first sort of, when I first found out about it, it was a great opportunity for me to just sort of get hands-on with programming games. And I guess before that, I had Lego Mindstorms, so I was used to doing the the RCX like block by block coding, and I, I built my own robots and things. And even before that, there was some other experience. So I guess programming and making things has always been something that it's been a part of my life. So it was a kind of an easy transition yeah. by keeping it up with it throughout the time. So I got a lot of uh, experience running through the tutorials in Game Maker, and I think that's very important yeah. for designers. Game Maker is pretty easy to use with their drag and drop uh, coding box blocks for logic so you say if this and then you say move and you draw drop in a block and you say move three so you drop in like a little three block and just kind of it it goes part by part and it's pretty easy to understand and then i went through all the game maker tutorials that way over the years and i tweaked some of the tutorials to make my own games and i just kept going back and forth like that i never really cool. graduated outside of game maker but i did Within Game Maker, learn how to start working with scripts instead of the the blocks that they provided, which mm-hmm. it's very important to, to make that transition. And just tinkering around with little ideas over the years allowed me to at least be familiar with 
okay, when does this code actually turn into a game and who's responsible yeah. for it? Cool. I think that's a very important step because a lot of people don't realize that even if you have an idea, your ability to articulate it to either the coder or somebody's responsible for making it, you need some kind of experience to how these things actually get done. You, yeah. You can't just keep telling them, like, make it cooler, make it cooler, make it feel better. Like, you need to know what yeah. variable to increase, what uh, variable to, to create, and then how to manipulate that in code. Hence, and also hence why you created your glossary so that you have the terminology to communicate um, every single minutia of, mm. of function and form. I think that's very important, just collaborating with our, the Dabari Ball guys just on our own. We have to talk about very minute things all the time. And yeah. when you're that deep into the system, you, it helps to have the language framework to zoom back out and say, okay... I understand that we're really talking about mechanics here. I understand that we're really talking about a certain kind of interplay. And from a history, just playing a lot of games in Smash Brothers, I know that this one particular line of code, which defines a role, it's going to have these negative effects down the line. And I know that we're tackling sort of a very emergent problem, but we're, uh-huh. we're dealing with it on a very root level. And you got to keep all those kinds of ideas and thoughts well organized. Otherwise... It just feels like you're just hitting buttons on a keyboard and testing it to see if it works. Yeah, understood. Yeah, that makes that makes a lot of sense. That <laughs> part of that's my frustration with programming at large. Yeah. Um, because for me, it's a lot more of like I don't know what I'm doing. I'm just. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and then I and then I hit execute. I have to, I have to test things too many mm-hmm. times because I don't actually understand very well what I'm doing. Yeah, I think but, it's uh, I think it's cool that I think one of the things I've learned in my experience is that. I've heard from other developers, they say game design is really just about throwing things in and testing it, but I think even if that's true, you can save yourself a whole lot of time by knowing which things you're throwing in and what kind of effect they're going to have before you do all that work coding and then testing and then going back to the drawing Yeah, I mean, like, that's that's two... in In my mind, those are somewhat two competing different thoughts. Like, Jonathan Blow had said... That he uh, he had gone to school for English and for computer science, mm-hmm. and that you know when you go to when you do English, you learn how to be really good at making things up, mm-hmm. <laughs> which is the exact opposite of programming because you have to know exactly what you're doing the whole way through the process. Otherwise, you can't really just freeform it. Yeah, I was going to mention Jonathan Blow too. It's, it's cool that you brought him up. I think he said <laughs> at one point when you're really thinking clearly about your design and the, the task that you set before yourself, you can sit down and write code out completely and then run it to where it has no bugs. But if you're the kind of sloppy or inefficient programmer, you'll like type something real quick and then hit run to see if it works and and you won't be very thorough with your thinking, so it doesn't come out very thorough in your code. Not at all. Yeah, so... <laughs> yeah, that, that can be a big problem. Yeah. <laughs> And that's in in my blogging. I found that there is a very strong connection between how you think about design and the language that you have to describe it, and then what comes out of your fingers when you're constructing something or coding something or even sort of de- designing on paper. Yeah, absolutely, makes a lot of sense. So backing up a little bit from your work on on Bari Bari Ball and your work on on uh, critical gaming, mm-hmm. how old are you? Twenty six. Twenty six. Okay, yeah. cool. So you're not you're not that much younger than me. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm I'm 30, but the the reason why I ask is because I'm always curious as to what what people's formation is into game design. I mean, like most most game designers that I know of who are in the indie scene are kind of in that that sweet spot of 25 to 35, largely. I mean, that's not not any kind of rule, but that seems a large mm-hmm. number of. I mean, all of us who grew up on NES, basically. Yeah. So I, I was curious, like, what was your process professionally like to become full? You know, you you blog all you ha- you're extremely thorough in your blogging. Mm-hmm. And I love love that about it because I'm learning things every every time that I that I he- listen to or, or read you. Um, but I don't <laughs> I don't have all that much time because I have a full time job and and all these other things like that. So how how has it worked for you to become? Sorry, I, I'm having a hard time forming my question. <laughs> I think to answer part of Work part of that balance, like that sort of thing. <laughs> how, how, did, how did you get to here? Like, did you go to college? And I don't know. I have too many questions in my mind going at one time. <laughs> yeah, I went, I went to college for. Starting off English and engineering, it's kind of like Jonathan Blow, you were saying. Okay. You go to these two <laughs> two conflicting sort of disciplines. It's really cool, sort of. I went for English and creative writing, and I got a lot of exposure to thinking about texts and words critically and understanding how to articulate yourself, both in the essays that you write and based on the words that you're reading. And that was, I think that's a really strong sort of background that I bring to game design, because I think a lot of people don't read and think critically enough. They don't read closely enough to when other people say things, so they're just assuming what's going on. And that's one problem. I think a lot of people don't bring enough math to game design, or they don't understand math, so when it pops up in games, they sort of shoo away from it, they shy away, and they think, they try to talk about... Can you give an example of that? Well, a lot of people don't really understand emergence and the way permutations work and the way... uh, just systems can be solved and what that process is like. And you'll hear a lot, you'll hear expressed a lot as complaints about balance. You'll hear people talking about like cheap strategies and things devolving into certain kinds of play, but they really don't understand that a lot of times you can make these really complex systems, but they're still can be solved. You just need like a lot better analytics. You need better math and applying these principles to your play you see that you can never really escape this idea that math can be applied to game strategies in order to help you play better. So some people think they go into an RPG and they're like, oh man, it's just all whatever I want. Maybe I'll pick my character. Maybe I'll pick this cool looking sword and that'll be great. And then other people go into these systems and they say, well, based on what I'm trying to do in this game, these swords represent a certain amount of damage value. And over time, this will equate to that. And if I compare the rate of this to that, then I'm going to get this somewhere down the line. Some people think that's completely destroying the magic of the game. But I'm like, in many ways, the math that you apply there is the same kind of math you could apply to doing any kind of activity in or outside of the game. And you can't really escape the ability to apply those principles. Just like you can't escape certain kind of play styles or strategies or emergent possibilities when you create these games with a certain amount of freedom at their core. So people struggle a lot with trying to talk about the experience they get rather than sort of understanding from a broader perspective all the different kinds of experiences that can sit side by side in a single yeah. game. That makes sense. I mean, like, I'm, I'm, I'm not understanding everything that you're saying, <laughs> but I, I'm, I'm not, you know, not having a, a keen mind for math. But um, one of the things that I'm, I, I have been doing personally to try to not necessarily relate to you better, but that's part of it is is really examining and getting into the nitty gritty of 
the mechanics and, and systems of gameplay. And that's why, you know, criticalgaming.com has been such a, a positive inspiration for me, especially well, you and Zachary Oliver. And Zachary, he's he comes from more of the mindset that like mm. the true authentic Christianity is expressed through good gameplay, which I don't I don't necessarily <laughs> He 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 has of course his blog is theology gaming. I I'm I'm a contributor to the site and I, I had a hard time understanding where he was going with a lot of the things that he tries he writes and communicates. Mm-hmm. I don't always necessarily understand how um the purity of the, the mechanics of a game necessarily relates to spiritual formation other than excellence. Excellence of course part of what it means to faithfully be disciplined to be a disciple at large mm-hmm. but in in any case so uh he got really into the, the systems the mechanics and things so that got me he's the one who found you more or less <laughs> is why why we're talking because because he he started talking to you and 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 he really sort of really challenged me on you know i was starting to really get into the art games you you of course have the trigon theory of games as art, games as business games as technology but i'm i used to think like games as art you know there's art games like cart life and mm. things along those lines that are that are like more about expression and, and experimentation and uh then you get much more into the adventure style games which are a lot less about mechanical performance and and reflexes and much more about how do you experience something mm-hmm. and so i was going much more towards that almost exclusively and saying like this is the future of games <laughs> and and of course that's something that you've been you've been critical of <laughs> for, and rightfully so in in your in your podcasts mm-hmm. but i've i've been really coming aware to all that and that's why i started to treat my game playing as make more mechanical assessment so i did my first mechanical assessment of guacamole so it's funny oh, cool. that you brought that up Cool. And I tried to really divulge into what is making it work well because there's a lot of things about it that that are appealing to my indie indie my indie hipsterdoms, <laughs> um, but uh, there's also like I, I had to kind of just throw that all off to the side and say what's on the what's what's the bones here that are really making this come alive because there's something to it that that didn't come across in the demo that I saw at PAX East. It didn't come across when Zach Oliver played it. He didn't see it. But when after playing through the whole game and and playing through uh, halfway through on hard mode, I can't help but appreciate every single minutia of detail put into that game because it feels like a Smash Brothers Metroidvania in some ways, mm-hmm. and I really like that about it. <laughs> <laughs> it's have, cool. have you played it, by the way? I played it just a little bit, just that demo part where you're running away from that big creature. Yeah, yeah, that that's like the least gaming part of the game. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, yeah. I haven't played any more uh, than that. I saw I saw a video of some of the the challenge modes they have where you're flipping back and forth between those two, I guess, polarities, and then you have that uppercut that lifts you up, and that wall slide, and all that. Yeah, and what gets really com- uh, compelling is when uh, you're doing the dimension swapping, mm-hmm. and you're having to fight off enemies that are in both dimensions at the same time. You can only hit them when you're on their side, mm-hmm. but they can hit you on both. Oh, cool. So it's, so and th- and then you then they turn it up by adding shields that are contextual so you can only break their shields with certain moves and hmm. it gets it gets rich fast but any any case all that simply to say that I'm, I'm starting to really understand where you're coming from and I, i'm making that sort of my my study process to, to understand things in a deeper sense um mm-hmm. but also how that relates in some way shape or form to the christian faith and and that's and that's sort of where where zachary oliver comes into play and that's where i wanted to talk to you more about because i want to learn more about how you as a christian relate to the game industry um and how that plays into your experience as as a cultural influencer 
In some ways, when you're dealing with sort of a an entertainment medium, you get a lot of these these nestled problems that come in inherently. And at its core, video games are a medium that is used to express a wide range of ideas. And it's not so much just abstract in that these are computer systems with different functions and and different controllers that we have to interact with them. But just about every video game now is some kind of character-based this or that, some kind of visual representation of objects that we can relate to and it's all very intuitive and familiar in that sense. So what we have with games are a world full of creators and players that are creating these ideas and these interactive ways of expressing themselves and we're just sharing it all over the place. So naturally Mm -hmm. being this open and this big you're going to get a lot of content that tends towards the violent side of things. You're going to get a lot of content that's either aping other content for monetary gain or whatever but i mean the the range runs the entire gamut and oh yeah yeah absolutely and sometimes when it takes so much money to keep this industry going then you start to run into this dilemma where to get more money you have to appeal to more people and to appeal to more people you either have to you have to go down some of those more common avenues or you have to have some kind of less reliable magical like hit the sweet spot kind of thing yeah and that puts a lot of stress on content creators because even people who are known for pushing the envelope like rockstar and i guess you could say uh with with Bioshock, uh infinite can yeah. they they really want to do things to a certain effect they want to convey certain messages they really have themes and ideas that they want to convey but then yeah, I was thinking specifically about Infinite when you started saying all that. Yeah, they always, I mean, all art, you're constantly at a battle between what you think you're conveying and what your audience will actually get. And then at the same time, for mediums like this, you're always balancing, like, how much money do we put on these details or how much money will the publisher risk on us with these ideas? So that's, I think that's just yeah. a part of all sort of entertainment mediums and this idea of creating things for other people's entertainment. So what you have now in our industry is just sort of a lot of conflicting pressures. And I think what I was saying on my Trigon theory is that what you're essentially bumping up against is a lot of gamers that they want to get either more for less, they don't quite understand how putting in more work is going to get them a lot more value in a lot of ways. Yeah. And they're sort of moving from experience to experience sort of scraping off the surface level stuff and kind of moving on, like a very fast burn consumption kind of idea. Yeah. And that is troubling in itself when you're tr- when people like us are trying to enter the industry. is troubling uh, when you try to consider the longevity of how people consume games and what they value out of them. And it's a little troubling when you consider that somewhere down the line it's going to backfire in some ways. Yeah. So entering this whole idea of I want to make games and how I'm going to deal with the different influences and pressures. It's kind of hard because I never had to make any difficult decisions so far. And I know, I, I know the kind of content, the kind of games I would want to make are definitely, they're definitely more on the, if you say like the Nintendo side where they're more general audience, family friendly, like a positive message without having to go into like, I wouldn't make shooters. I wouldn't make violent games. And I just happen to be making a fighter, but it's really at most you get is a, a cartoon violence. So I I don't I don't know. And ultimately, it's just a very very classy kung fu match. Yeah, <laughs> no I one mean, really gets hurt. You're fighting with a bunch of pixelated color swooshes. <laughs> I think I think that'll be fine for most people. I yeah. think to bring it a little closer to the questions that you were asking, could you rephrase? Yeah. Um. How does your relationship with God play into 
your influence in games? Yeah, so I think all the messages and all the ways that I try to convey these messages are intended to sort of reflect the way that I I understand the world and sort of how I relate to people. And just like with my particular writing style, I write a lot about crazy situations that are basically people talking to each other, but around them, the scenarios very sort of fictional. Like at one story I wrote, the main character leaves the McDonald's restaurant and he gets into his car, but it's actually a time machine. And he travels back, <laughs> travels back in time to talk to his, himself as a little kid. And like all that's very fictional, but if you just sort of absorb and see through that premise, you get this really interesting scenario where a person is able to talk to their inner child and you're just sitting there witnessing what kind of effect that would have. Like both what would you say to yourself if you could go back in time and to how would you react as a little kid? And like that's the real meat of that story I wrote. And I feel like when I make games, if they were story based or if they wanted to convey a lot of these less action, actiony themes and ideas, that that's the kind of thing I would shoot for. I'd be like, I would focus on having people listen to each other a little bit more carefully, observe details a little bit more specifically and then just construct these scenarios around them so that that's highlighted but to be the kind of creator that would be able to do that like pull that off with the team that's sort of asking a lot both of the people that you're working with and the audience that you hope to sell your game to so you can stay afloat yeah exactly which is the whole ken levine bioshock Mm -hmm. infinite story where someone on his team quit wrote a resignation letter And was about to quit because of how he was dealing with the subject of religion and how Comstock was written in the game and all that stuff. And <laughs> as as a person who uh, loves Jesus and loves uh, Ken Le- Ken Levine as a uh, game designer, I uh, I feel like he was putting himself in. A, I would not. I don't envy him. It's kind of like being the president of the United States. Like somebody's going to hate you, and it's <laughs> probably going to be everybody, no matter what you do. <laughs> yeah. 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 So I mean and that's and that's kind of the, the consistent thing that you see across all games is that there's always somebody who doesn't find something in a game. I mean, you can't create a perfect game. It's <laughs> I mean, you're always going to be appealing to a niche. You're, you're always be going to be appealing controversial, to a, yeah. Yeah. So everyone has their opinion and everyone tries to make that work and and hopefully they find a large enough amount of people who agree mm-hmm. with with that particular taste and sensibility. I think so. I think it's uh, harder to convey to people. Just right now in our industry and sort of the gamers that are whatever you would consider to be sort of your average gamers, it's really hard to talk about this kind of stuff because there are so many barriers getting in the way of expressing these ideas. Our like, language. Yeah. So when you approach this idea of video games and you're thinking like, well, all of these video games are expressing something, some kind of idea on how, like, pieces of a puzzle interrelate some kind of idea on structure form and like even if it's abstract like tetris in the sort of mental sculpture that you fit your mind into or it's something more concrete like the game has a story like they're all conveying ideas and doing something so it's not a matter of like this game is really doing it and these others aren't but just in general i'd like to raise the awareness that all these games are are speaking to us on some level so yeah Paying attention to that is first, and then you can start sort of making your your pitches or your sales based on some of these ideas that you're going to convey and how, instead of just trying to grab like blockbuster style, catchy, 
attention grabbing style design decisions in order to make that happen. And it's in- it's interesting for me because I'm I'm coming from the position of a guy who tries to mentor some teenagers. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm specifically, and, and a lot of the teachers because of not necessarily because it's who I am or or whatever. It's a lot of other gamers. And so just last night I had a conversation with a kid who was telling me about how he's really really into The Walking Dead and how he played he had played the game. He just said the game. So I'm like, so what is which which one? Survival Instinct or Telltale's mm-hmm. game? And he said both. And uh, I, and I tried to you know have some kind of comprehensive. I mean, and of course he's 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 a kid. Yeah. He doesn't know how necessarily to communicate on these things. But I, I wanted to engage. So I asked him. So how, what what did you think about Survival Instinct? He's like, I love playing as Daryl Dixon, and I love having a crossbow, and, <laughs> and 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 he has absolutely no awareness of the fact that like the game's systems and substance are literally just you go shoot zombies and that's that's it. Like there's he's he's fine with that. Mm. Um, so, but in his mind, and, and, and so I asked him also what, what he thought about the, the themes and the, 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 all the things that happened at the end of the Telltale's experience. And he just said he was mad. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, why? He's like, well, and it was just, it was cool to see that he has a different interpretation. Now, have you played through, through all of it? I've only played the first chapter. Okay. Well then, I, then I won't spoil anything that happens in the tail end, but I asked him what he thought and. There, there's some room for interpretation there, and he just saw it at, at face value, which you know is, is understandable and reasonable. But it's it's kind of cool to be able to see that side of it, whereas you know all the people that I'm talking to and engaging with as I write for Game Church, Theology, Gaming, Substance TV, whatever, wherever I'm writing, and and talking to you and, and other professionals in the industry, like it's not the teenager who, it's not the person on the street who who's like I I can't wait for the next Call of Duty to come out and thinks that the commercials are awesome for Call of Duty Ghost, which. I kind of find hilarious. Like I saw, I saw it and I left. I don't know if that's that's normal, <laughs> but but I thought that it was funny. And there there is kind of this cl- this more clear divide of older and younger audiences and some some stretch. And and of course that affects our language even more. But and and in any case, so on your 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 podcast about ex- expression expression. Yes, mm-hmm. you had talked uh, extensively with your piano teacher about your education with with piano and and his master mentor yeah. mm-hmm. and it was exciting to me because I, I could hear some of your playing I could hear some of some of uh his his teachers uh, playing and it made me also be a little intimidated because <laughs> <laughs> you you are uh in many ways kind of a renaissance man and the fact that you are multidisciplined and mm-hmm. and that's something that um in terms of as a person who is trying to grow as in in everything solidarity of uh, and and mastery of of expression is something that i've noticed in you and that everything that you do is extremely thorough um i've lis- i listen to a lot of podcasts i commute to work mm-hmm. and i listen to a ton of podcasts and yours are probably some of the most well thought are easily some of the most well thought out produced and carefully put together and that's probably because you put a lot of time in each individual one and that's and that just is a testimony to excellence in my mind. So I wanted to hear more from you on excellence and, and, and what motivates you, what makes you want to get up and, and put that much extra effort into making a podcast and that much extra attention into writing a blog mm-hmm. or anything that you do, playing piano, obviously. I think some of the perspective that I've, I bring to game design, especially what I've written on critical gaming, is that even from a very young age, I was involved in a lot of different kind of projects. And when I was... I think two years old, my dad built me a fort out of cardboard. And, and he used to build my brother 
and me, he used to build us these ninja weapons out of cardboard. So, like, I was always very well attuned to making things for yourself and then understanding things by doing. And even from a young age, we used to build all kinds of things out of cardboard, like, all of our lives. Mm-hmm. I, have a, I have a picture of a, uh, a cardboard violin that I, I made in high school <laughs> just because just cause I wanted to do it. And things like that, we've always been involved in in art we both do uh drawing i picked up watercoloring at some point and we got into piano at a young age my brother and i then we both picked up violin when we went to middle school high school and uh we did taekwondo and soccer and all these different things but half a lot of times it just felt like something to do to keep us active and something to work for something to practice and our dad was always focused on getting the the best out of us by making sure that we understood the importance of practice every day and and making sure we did that as if it were our job as kids he used to tell us like your job is to practice piano and go to school and get good grades and that's what you do anything else you do with your time is fine with so we played a ton of video games yeah yeah we also did our our work did your dad play games with you he played at the very, very beginning, and then we quickly, like, got better than him, so he didn't want to play. I remember <laughs> playing in Super Mario Bros. 3 with my dad when I was, like, three years old, and he, I remember the the holes that he jumped into, and he, he was like, oh, I'm not good, you guys play. I was like, fine, <laughs> we'll play for the rest of our lives. But uh, Has he played anything since then? He, he was really big into Wii Sports. I've yeah. never, he played it about as much as I did. And he's the reason why our game time is like hundreds of hours. He We taught him how to boot it up, and he played Wii Sports Golf and tennis a lot. That's awesome. He's really good on, He's really good at golf. He got a really high score that I can't beat. <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> That's my, awesome. My mom was really big into uh, Wii Fit. So, like, the Wii was a good generation. Yeah, I think, I, I mean, like, it's it's... The Wii was absolutely phenomenal for engaging people who aren't used to navigating a first-person environment. Because, I mean, like, the biggest bar- barrier of entry, I, I had my wife, um, I've been trying to get my wife to play more games because she hates video games in every, in every way. And I've been trying to communicate and, and learn how to tell her that, you know, it is a, a useful sp- uh, way for me to spend my time. <laughs> <laughs> and and it is it is something that I feel that I, I'm called to in, in a variety of ways. So I, it, I'm, I'm constantly trying to prove. So I had her pick up uh, Portal 2. <laughs> That's a complex one. <laughs> yeah, and, and and of course, you know, like if you're gonna have someone play play a game that that's gonna mess with their head, you know, yeah. that's that's the, the perfect one to choose. Um, the only pro- and, and I thought like you know it's funny, so maybe it'll charm her or something. <laughs> she hated it. She by, by the end of it, she was. Uh, I I'm gonna have to edit it out. <laughs> the, uh, the I recorded it, and I'm gonna I'm gonna turn it into a blog at some uh, as soon as as soon as she she offers me her review, which will probably be like. Two words, yeah. but uh, <laughs> um, all that to say, like sh- sh- her biggest problem was getting used to the systems of, of navigation. Um, yeah, and and that and whether or not she was, I mean, she was able to get it, and it, it was able to get in in her head, but but she was still frustrated because it wasn't second nature. Mm-hmm. And you know, for those of us who grew up with with uh, everything from GoldenEye all the way to um, now, the standard, of course, is is Halo's controls when yeah. it comes to picking up a controller. We don't even realize that it's such a huge barrier for entry for for everybody, unless you're a male who grew up with video games most of the time. I mean, yeah. and and then we wonder why there's not more more women in, in the game industry. It's because every game that 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 teaches you how to engage with with uh, the movement 3D movement systems involves killing one another, which 
<laughs> yeah, a lot of them do. Competition. A lot of them do. <laughs> and then you have a few Mario Galaxies here and there, and yeah. uh, just not enough to curb the tide of all those first-person shooters. Yeah, so I probably keep asking you questions for a long period of time. I could finish finish the thought I had on the discipline yeah, go for it, go thing. For it. I think yeah. so. With doing so many different things growing up, it kind of set my expectations into just accepting the the teachings that and the structure that I was put into and sort of taking that and then putting the hard work in and then seeing what happens. And with all these different activities that I participated in growing up, it really felt like a lot of these different activities were a lot more similar than I guess other people knew. And if you play enough violin and you start off bad and then they give you instruction, you do the work and you're good. And then you do that with piano and you do that with art and you do that with sports and you do that with school and academics and writing then all of a sudden it just it really makes things feel more similar than they are different and i know a lot of people yeah sort of hold areas and, and topics that they don't have a lot of experience in in some kind of awe like oh man people who are good at sports they must just have something different about them and yeah some people do but a, a lot of times you have to work for it regardless and that in that process that you go through working for it it's just it just feels the same because it is the same you have to stop making excuses. You got to listen to what they tell you and you got to put in the practice and the time. And that's sort of the idea that I brought with my, my skill based system and understanding skill. I'm like, there's no, there's, there's no difference to me in trying to get better at a song and violin and getting better at a video game. They require different inputs. Yeah, especially some, especially a fighting game. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> they require different inputs. They require, like different mindsets, but at the end of the day, they're just, you, you move your fingers a certain way and you anticipate certain things and then you practice the, the parts that you have problems with. And the way you practice, it has to be a very specific type of structure and you just go with it. And when you really yeah, start that, seeing the uh, skills transfer, like you're good at this, all of a sudden you're good at a weird part of that, you really start to understand that the way you learn and the skills that you bring are much more connected. Yeah. And that's, and that's key. And that's definitely something that a lot of people don't understand about, about, um, Serious gamers, especially people who come from the, the, the serious fighting game scene. Um, I was listening earlier today to the Sub Holmes podcast with Adam Hart uh, as he was talking about Dive Kick mm. and uh, just seeing how much um, he was, he's coming from the fighting, back, fighting game background of uh, Marvel versus Capcom. Mm-hmm. And, and he was able to fill in a lot of the blanks because, I mean, that's not, I didn't grow up around that. I don't understand, you know, how to, watch for the, the frame lead-ins to yeah. an, a specific moveset within a fighting game. But seeing the people who are engaged in the competitive fighting game scene, they understand better than anybody in, 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 the, in the gaming scene, at least from what I've seen, that, that it's about learning from one another. Yeah, definitely. It's about sharpening your skill, re- relating to other people, sitting down with your buddy at, 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 and, and, and spending a night together, just learning each other... How they how how to get any inside of each other's head as you play a game together? Yeah, and there's nothing there's nothing really that you can really I mean other than maybe like sparring like mm-hmm. <laughs> like physically fighting <laughs> that I can think of that's quite like that. One of the cool parts about just really being competitive at a game and going taking it to that next level is that the game becomes this really cool lens for better understanding what the other person is like who they are and what they're going through, and when you really start to see like some of the mistakes they can't help but make. You're like, man, that is really, like, in a very particular kind of way, I have this lens to understanding sort of what's going on in your mind and some of the struggles that you have. Yeah. Like, when some people are just really bad yeah. at reflexes, and you, you teach them what to look for, and you, you tell them the tells, and they're anticipating it, but they still 
have a hitch in how quickly they take to react. You like really get to see like at, at the very core of you, there's something there that makes you different from me, and and comparing that just just allows you to understand each other a little bit better. That explains why uh, the guys that I that I invest in the most, like that I mentor, all came through playing Halo, all the way back to like I mean Halo three and before that. Um, it's just kind of been one of those. It's not it's not entirely the same thing as a fighting game because it's not one v one all the time. But if it is one v one, it can be a great opportunity for that as well. Uh, if you're winning against them and how they were. Well, you really learn what a person is like when when their things aren't going well. <laughs> yeah, very true. It's cool that you mentioned uh, Adam Hart. I met him last GDC, and when I got to play dive kick a little bit. He got to play volleyball, and uh, we actually we actually played teams. He he teamed up, and that was a really exciting, really close games. And I'm gonna go to a tournament next weekend up in Chicago. Uh-huh. To I think it's Keats, the Adam Hart. He's throwing it, and Barry Ball is going to be featured uh-huh. there. It's one of the the tournament games, so that's going to be cool. Going up that's there, awesome. and meeting him again, and doing that. Yeah, I, I can't I can't wait to get my hands on on Barry Barry Ball. And actually, one one question I had about um, the development of the game in particular is is are you guys going to be working on a an uh, an AI system, or is it going to be entirely player driven? Because I mean, it is part of Sports Friends, and everything I believe in Sports Friends is about playing it with other people. Yeah, that's true. But, and we tossed around the idea of building AI in the bari ball at some point, but uh, uh-huh. that's a lot of work. And man, if we had like oh, infinite yeah. time and money, we'd build AI and netcode and all that stuff. But uh, it's just not the case at this point. And I think yeah. a good replacement for the kind of resources that we have is designing certain kinds of challenge modes and obstacle courses. Because the game is uh-huh. sort of part platformer, just like Smash Brothers. So I think in many ways, if you build a difficult obstacle course, kind of like what you were doing in Guacamelee, that could sort of scratch that itch of something that you can practice and get better at on your own to yeah. take into multiplayer. I, I can think of how, I mean, like that's kind of what, what the structure of a lot of the, the single player stuff in, in Smash Brothers has always been like. It definitely isn't isn't even really. I mean, actually, I think it's kind of the same way in any kind of good competitive game. Is that the single player mode exists purely to facilitate developing other skill assets for multiplayer? Yeah, the they, the best ones, the best games work hand in hand that way. I know Kid Icarus yeah. works that way as well. You take the weapons you do in single player, you take them to multi, you get stuff in multi, you bring it back into single, and you try to just keep getting better at those core skills. That's cool. Yeah, I, I and you're talking about Kid Icarus uh, Uprising, right? Mm-hmm, or, mm-hmm. That, I have I have yet to, uh, I don't own a 3DS, so I haven't had the opportunity to play it, so I, I don't have quite the window into it. That, uh, But I have been hearing a lot about it lately, yeah. so um, it's it's been cool to, to hear that it's a good game for competitive, competitive multiplayer that I, I didn't know about. Yeah, there's a whole competitive side to the game, just like Smash Brothers, you would need to find what role set would work for you and the people you play with in order to get the most fun out of it. But man, it's yeah. it's super like so much of that design inspired volleyball and and sort of where okay, I want to go. Chris? Yeah, <laughs> believe it or not. Cool. Eventually, with volleyball, I hope to either be able to write a blog post or do a really cool presentation where yeah. I'll show exactly every single design decision that we collaborated on, came up with and where the inspiration came from, and maybe how my blog and what I did there helped me understand the inspiration which helped me integrate into this game. And hopefully I'll be able to illuminate all that at some point. That's awesome. So one one quick question about Bari Bari Ball now that I'm thinking about it is, is the gameplay mode of it actually, you know, the, the, the ball itself, the game of ball, and, and trying to knock the other player down into the, into their, into their zone or, or the ball into theirs, is that, 
the whole uh, of the gameplay modes because you talk about different gameplay types and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. But is that always the foundation of it? Yeah. Or is that the very core foundation is this dual uh, gameplay system where it's very much like a fighter in some respects, but it's also just like a sport game where you can grab the ball, you can run, toss it around, and try to outplay your opponent just by pushing the ball around in certain ways. So without needing all the complexity of a fighting game, we have this ball, and as long as you kick the ball and, and pay attention to how it's moving, that's the main focus. But then when you can't get to the ball, you got to actually get through your opponent. you got to sort of play more like a fighter and say, i got to yeah. at least occupy this guy for a second so I can get to the ball. <laughs> and I think when people are watching it, they like you said before, you clearly understand what's going on. One ball, yeah. two sides, fight. <laughs> like, that's it. <laughs> yeah, I, w- I was just so impressed with the, the trailer. I mean, like, I, g- I got it just by watching it, and I could see Smash Brothers all over it, but it's really cool to hear that there's Kid Icarus in there as well. Now I have to get a 3DS. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, hopefully they make uh, a HD version of Kid Icarus for Wii U. That'd be great. That would be pretty great. I I I, I would definitely get that for the rec center. <laughs> Has nothing to do with me wanting to play it myself. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Awesome. Thank you so much, Richard. Um, I I've really appreciated you taking the time to talk to me and uh, just share more of your heart, your thoughts, and and uh, everything. Mm-hmm. It's been really great. Definitely going to continue to keep up with you on on the theology gaming blog uh facebook group yeah. and everywhere else that we end up crossing paths but uh yeah any, anytime you want to discuss game design you want to talk about games i'm always online somewhere and uh okay if anybody listening to wants to talk about game design mechanics just get down to the the details and the nitty-gritty uh you can find me through my blog criticalgaming.com there's a hyphen in between critical and gaming if that helps yeah that's important <laughs> awesome thanks again Richard it was great talking to Uh you it was fun likewise I look forward to uh, keeping up with you in the future that was the Theology Gaming Podcast thank you for listening if you'd like to hear more subscribe to us on iTunes we're up there give us a 5 star review and tell us what you thought if you didn't like it please just don't put anything the people involved in this podcast today were M. Joshua Collar. M. Joshua Collar can be found on Theology Gaming, sometimes. Game Church, where he's a frequent contributor. Substance TV, substance-tv.com, and also Love Subverts, which is Joshua Collar's own personal blog. Richard Terrell, on the other hand, can be found on the Critical Gaming blog, which can be found at critical-gaming.com. And he can also be found on the Barabariba website. To spell this is B-A-R-A-B-A-R-I-B-A-L-L. It's a complicated name, I know. You just Google it. I'm not going to give you a website address. Too long, too hard. I'm not willing to put in the effort to look it up. Not to disparage the game in any way. (laughs) I'm just kidding. I hope you had a good time listening to this. And contact me on the internet if you so please. See you all next time.